This is Van Color. Welcome back to This is Van Color. My name is Mo Amir. And our featured guest tonight is a journalist and political analyst who you will recognize from her high-profile debate moderation, both in the 2020 BC provincial election and the 2021 Canadian federal election. She is a recipient of the prestigious Jack Webster Award for Best TV Reporting, and she is the president of the Angus Reid Institute, Canada's non-profit foundation committed to independent research and revealing the truths about our values values, beliefs, and priorities that shape the realities of our country. She is Shachi Curl. Shachi, thank you so much for being here tonight. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. Of course, I'm excited to see you. <laughs> it's fun to be here. I'm glad to be with you. Shachi, we're now entering the third year of the pandemic, and I feel Say like a lot's so. right? I feel like a lot's happened in this country just over the past few months with the Omicron wave coinciding with the holidays, uh, a very real awareness of fast rising inflation, and of course, the truckers convoy, convoy protests. So how are we feeling? What is the collective mood of Canadians right now? Yeah, I, I'm not one to usually quote Meghan Markle, but that's a loaded piece of toast like that. There's there's a lot to unpack there. So we got time. Let's do it. When we think about, for example, where we were, say, six months ago. So uh, it's the fall. Uh, most Canadians at this stage are double vaccinated. It's a matter of getting the teens and the kids squared off. And then guess what? pandemic is over yay we did it and and we were seeing surges but they this was very much under delta mm -hmm. en route to becoming what we heard a lot about was the pandemic of the unvaccinated so you have a society and a collective population that leans in rolls up their sleeves gets vaccinated and um and and really overcomes, I think, a lot of vaccine nervousness or hesitancy. Like when we think mm -hmm. back to a year ago, there was still a lot of people weren't sure. But, you know, we were a very seeing is believing population. Yeah. There was a lot of information about at that time about, hey, you get vaccinated, you know, your, your chances of getting sick are way lower, your chances of going to hospital, and you're not going to get sick if you get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, that was the belief set that we were dealing with in this country going into Omicron. So you're making Christmas plans, you're getting ready for your beach vacation again. Hey, this thing is going to be behind us. Woo, it's going to be the 1920s again. And bam, Omicron hits. And not only does it hit, it blows up a lot of what we thought we knew about not only the length of this thing, but the longevity of it, the infectiousness of it, and also the the implications of vaccination mm -hmm. so vaccines as as our public health officials i'm not a, a medical expert but as our public health officials still tell us they they are effective but they're not a silver bullet or a magic shield or a cloak of invisibility against infection and in fact right. you know hands up how many of us had friends who were double and triple vaccinated through Christmas and January who got sick. Now they didn't go to hospital, 
They didn't, but it still wasn't fun. And, and so that's where we're at. And now you'll note that the language around this has really shifted from our public health officials. Like, let's just put aside what the politicians have been saying. I think mm -hmm. it's really notable that before all the convoying got underway, uh, we were hearing from doctors Henry and Hinshaw and Tam talking about how, yeah, we're going to have to start thinking about how we live with this. It's endemic or it's going to transition to something that's endemic. We will never totally get rid of it, but we will learn to live with it. And right. hopefully the risk, the risk will be lessened. So you're it gets that, a lot of disappointment, it, though, here, like based on the right. So it's, it's like you're running a marathon or a half marathon and you've trained so hard and you've done your pacing and you drank your water and you did all this. You get really tired, but you know, you've got like 5k left to go. And I've, I've done a few of these. So I'm, I'm, I'm emoting <laughs> mindset. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, you can see the finish line, but now they've just like racked it back this indeterminate number of kilometers. And you're like, whoa, hey, this is not what I signed up for. Okay. I don't care if I got the t-shirt. I did not sign up for this. And so um, that's, that's in terms of the emotional mindset, the mental mindset, the fatigue, the anxiety, the uncertainty. That's where we found ourselves at the beginning of 2022. Mm -hmm. And you layer into that um, just like, I don't want to minimize when I say garden variety, but you take just garden variety disgruntlement with institutions, with leaders, with politicians that has always been there. There's always been an undercurrent of Ottawa doesn't listen to me or Victoria doesn't listen to me or my, you know, the media doesn't, doesn't reflect my point of view. Yeah. And then starts to manifest itself in these pockets of really passionate, intense anger and resistance around something like a border mandate for vaccine mandate for truckers, which then boom, takes off because it's, it's tapping into and feeding into just what has already been number one, a very long pandemic, but then number two, just feelings of disgruntlement or disengagement or feeling kind of on the outside looking in. And by the way, those aren't new feelings. They've been around forever. It's just a matter of like who has felt like they're on the outside that's ebbed and flowed over the decades. But, mm -hmm. but this is where we are today. Yeah. And and so I want to touch on some data that Angus Reid released earlier this year, and it was actually showing that a majority of people in Canada, including in all regions of Canada, except Atlantic Canada, agreed that it was time to end the COVID-19 restrictions. Now, that was at the start of the year. Obviously, we had the trucker convoy. Has What has happened to sentiment after the trucker convoy? Are Canadians so it's, still it's wanting really to end all their restrictions? Yeah, it's really interesting because remember, I, I, I mentioned a couple minutes ago about how um, when it was our public health officials leading that conversation, people were receptive to it because we have had a great deal of trust in our public health officials, in our scientists, in our doctors. Mm -hmm. So when a Dr. Henry or a Dr. Tam says, it might be time to start thinking about lifting restrictions because this is, thing is never going to totally 100% go away. We're never going to get to 100% zero COVID. There's, there is an element of acceptance of that because this is a learned person who's been talking to us for two years that we generally trust. Yeah. Um, 
Then you had the blockade and then you had blockade backlash. Yeah. And what's happened is the pendulum, even as provinces started lifting restrictions in BC and straight across the country, even as that was happening, as it was planned to happen by public health officials in an evidence science based process, you had a pendulum swinging to the other side because the anger and the exasperation and the impatience and the antipathy towards the convoy members was so intense that people are like, oh, you want to lift restrictions? I want more restrictions. I want to keep restrictions. I'm just so mad at you. That's what we saw. And yeah. so, you know, it's really important to also remember that public opinion shifts and it changes and it can happen very quickly. My guess is we will see that pendulum kind of swing back a little bit. We will see things start to settle down. But people were reacting in a very angry and emotional way against what they were seeing in Ottawa because it's so irrit like it, it, it I, they were so PO'd by it. I can't say this, but yeah, I, I think right. I can say that. So yeah. is, is it natural for the longer this pandemic is protracted, even as some restrictions do lift, is it natural to say that pandemic fatigue is just going to get worse or are we going to experience a bit of a release valve or maybe we do start to feel a little bit better about our mental health as some of these restrictions start to lift? You know, we're, we're a very seeing is believing uh, society. So as that curve, like just when it spiked and everyone was like, oh my God, and anecdotally, and both in terms of real reporting data and anecdotally, everyone seemed to know somebody who was ill. Every, like there was no outrunning it. There was an era of inevitability around it. Look, the days are getting a little bit longer. Hopefully those, that, that, that uh, reduction in infection and new cases starts to come down the way it's been coming down, right? It shot all the way up. It's starting to come down. As more people get boosted, as we can spend more time outside and et cetera, I think you may see people feeling like a little bit of that weight's been lifted. But this happened like literally during the darkest days of the year. Right. And at a time when we're, we're cooped up inside, less so on the island, the weather's always great there. But, you know, uh, at a time where coast to coast, you're living through the worst of winter. Uh, yeah. People in Quebec were under a curfew again, 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 right? So, of course, it's going to have a toll on emotional and mental health. Uh, and we've seen that one in three Canadians, when we asked them earlier this year, a couple weeks ago, said they were struggling with their mental health on a daily basis. One in four said that they were depressed. Like, that's that's a quarter of the population putting their hands up and yeah. saying, I, I am describing myself as depressed. Like, that's that's intense. And so the, the feelings around that uh, and, and um, the, the way that manifests itself emotionally for people is it's all very different. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I want to bring it full circle here to something I touched on earlier, Shachi. Obviously, the mental health of Canadians has not fared great uh, because of the pandemic. But now on top of that, the cost of living has jumped up with some of the highest inflation numbers since the 1990s, which affects everything. Groceries, gas, housing. Is cost of living unaffordability poised to surpass the pandemic in terms of the most concerning issue for Canadians? It's kind of it's at least in terms of housing, it's been there, especially in BC for a really long time, right? We've had a decade of unaffordability issues around housing and, yeah. and cost of living because cost of housing is a massive driver of cost of living. 
now there is to your point there's no escaping it um at at the checkout counter at the grocery store there's no escaping it if you're ordering in there's no escaping it if you're trying to fill your your car with a tank of gas um you know the 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 economists talk about things like transitory inflation temporary inflation but the hit to your wallet the stress that canadians feel around how am i going to balance up my checkbook does anyone even use checkbook anymore but like how am i going to balance things this <laughs> month what do i have to give up what do i have to trade off yeah. um these become these become serious things and if you are uh parents of kids under 13 and dealing with childcare costs layered into that uh if you are in a low income household the the impact is just that much more significant so everyone is noticing and and affected by rising prices but as we know some people are affected more than others relative to what they're taking home and so it it was i suspected going back to last november going to be the the defining issue as we came out of the pandemic uh then the pandemic decided it wasn't quite done with us yet and i don't know where that goes but um the the return to conversations around household budgets and and basic affordability is going to be something that politicians and leaders are going to have to be very dialed into in mm -hmm. in the in the months to come and this this will you know temporary or transitioning or or transitory inflation I mean that that does not fix your problem week to week you know it, it does not fix your problem paycheck to paycheck we are now in the podcast exclusive part of my chat with shashi curl shashi thanks so much for sticking around it's the it's the exclusive podcast part how this, could i miss it this is you can swear you can do whatever you want you can tell us how you really I, feel, well <laughs> i got i got myself I, I i stopped short of 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 saying pissed off uh in the in the video part of it and that i i, I neutered that to po'd okay. but uh very angry indeed that is how some people are feeling yeah i mean it's it's hard not to be frustrated i i feel like i'm very privileged uh, throughout this pandemic but yeah it gets to you you know and and i find that for me it's been a bit of a a coaster a covid coaster in terms of mood i mean i think we've all had moments like that and I, I i'm not a psychologist or a therapist or uh, or or somebody who's who's professionally trained in it on but this podcast how you not? can pretend that you are <laughs> well okay but but what i was gonna say is how how can you not at least at times feel that way when you don't feel like you're in control yes and you know people don't like feeling like they're not in control so all of that to say um I, for me, it's just been about trying to also, I know this sounds really kind of mealy mouth, but I, I try to practice gratitude. I try to, you know, actively remember all of the things that, that are, are going well because of the countries we could be living in that are experiencing mm -hmm. this pandemic. We've had access to vaccines. Yes. Uh, for many of us, we've had the privilege of being able to work from home. Uh, for many of us, we've, 
even if we've been ill or or worse had to go into hospital you know we've got we you know we're, we're not going to lose our homes or be uh you know out on the streets because we couldn't afford a doctor's bill and i'm not i'm not trying to be pollyanna but i think sometimes it's it's always good to give oneself a check for for you know the things that we're not experiencing that other people's are totally and that's how i feel too like i said at, at the top like I, i've been very privileged throughout this pandemic uh, but certainly i've you know had to sit in a, and digest a lot of emotions but i i don't think gratitude is necessarily a bad thing i think sure you can be toxically positive at times but and i'm just speaking generally of course but people can be toxically positive but at the same time recognizing that yeah, we've we've been very lucky in, in terms of vaccine access, uh, in terms of other services that have been provided, and and even in within our borders. You know, uh, I feel like I've been very privileged in, in how I've gone through this pandemic, but it doesn't make it easier. <laughs> you just, I mean, and, and no. I want to touch on that point that you said about control, like that realization that we are such a fragile society, <laughs> and there's a lot of things that we take for granted that are running invisibly in the background until we realize that they're very much at risk. Well, and, and there's nothing like a pandemic to show us how how vulnerable our, our um, health and primary health systems are. Uh, nothing so so like a pandemic to tell us, you know, the, the very fine thread with which our supply chains are connected, mm -hmm. all those things. And, you know, it's been two years of a lot and different and changing stories. Like two years ago, it was around, uh, you know, remember when all we were talking about was long-term care facilities yeah. or or lack of PPE? Oh, when is when are the ventilators coming? So right. we've we've been through a lot. Like it's it's been it's been uh one story but within that story there have been so many evolving threads and things that were picked up and put down and picked yeah. up again or never we never we never went back to them and there's a lot to unpack there absolutely well one thing that's given me a lot of solace is being able to judge our nation's politicians so i want to talk about <laughs> some of the politics around this pandemic in the context of pandemic fatigue, the truckers' convoy, the invocation of the Emergency Measures Act, how has Prime Minister Trudeau fared? Has his approval ratings gone up or have his poll numbers suffered as a result of what's happened this year so far? They've actually stayed fairly stable. Mm -hmm. um, and that's interesting against the backdrop of the fact that uh, at the height of the blockade, when things felt like they were at their their worst or like there was no plan, this was just the, the beginning of the week before the Emergency Act was uh, enacted and, and brought in. Um, you know, at that point, we'd come through, what was it, like the third weekend of this yeah. and or go, you know, or heading into the third weekend. Time and space cease to exist. Uh, but you get to a point where... Um, <laughs> Where Canadians were like, hey, sorry, what what is happening here? Where is the prime minister? And at that time, we we looked at some public opinion data. We we went back into field uh, shortly before that and found that sixty five percent of Canadians. So this is these are people across the political spectrum who felt that Justin Trudeau had his his 
his action or, or you might say inaction had worsened the situation, uh, had not helped, but had worsened. And that was the highest uh, metric of worsened for any of the politicians or institutions we had tested. And by the way, nobody came out of it. So the opposition <laughs> leader, the mayor of Ottawa, the police, Ottawa police, the OPP, a bunch of institutions and people that we asked about, nobody came out of it looking good. Right. Uh, but Aaron O'Toole lost his job. Yes, faring the worst. Uh, by by the time by the time we went into field, we were asking about Candace Bergen. Yeah. Um, but that said, the the general anger and backlash towards the con that that same data set showed at that time that there was seventy two percent of Canadians who felt that it was time for the truckers or the the protesters. I shouldn't. They weren't all truckers, frankly, um, to go home. It was time for them to go home. Yeah. So that go home, we're done with you, we're fed up with you, uh, we're exasperated with you sentiment from 72% of Canadians, I think will end up largely being the, the defining kind of number or lens through which Trudeau is judged. So mm. people wanted the the protesters to go home. They yeah. were ready to see tough action taken. They wanted arrests. They wanted charges. Yeah. And yes, there were a lot of questions about where the PM was at the beginning of this whole thing. There were also a lot of questions about the things he was saying and mm -hmm. were the things he was saying particularly helpful and people did not feel that way. Uh, again, that 65% who felt that he had worsened, not helped the situation. Right. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think in the short term, this is not going to be something that is a political liability for the prime minister because he comes out of it having delivered ultimately what people wanted, which was to make the protesters go away. Mm -hmm. So then I guess the question becomes, how much of a political stench will this be for the Conservative Party of Canada, Pierre Polyev, other conservatives that kind of supported this at the start, at least? I mean, certainly if we if we look to the South, uh, the Democrats have done a very effective job in pinning January 6th on a lot of different Republicans and a lot of different mm -hmm. uh, factions within the Republican Party. Is that what we're going to see here, where this is going to be a continuing talking point of, well, you supported this or, or your work? Words, uh, encouraged the convoy, which was so destructive and it, which everyone hates? Let me say this. I have a few things to say. I think one of the things I would say is that even if, if the prime minister does not see significant changes to his approval or does not see his, his political fortune significantly decline, that doesn't mean, frankly, that, that leaders on all sides of the political spectrum, you know, really performed very dismally through this. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, way, way to lower the bar, everyone. And so <laughs> when you, when you even get to a point where we're saying that Canadians are united or Canadians are divided takes on a politicized tone. I mean, what kind of bananas kind of political rhetoric is that? Yeah. So like, can we just, can we just take a, a step back and say, what are we actually talking about when we say Canadians are united? Yes. Canadians were united to get about getting vaccinated. That is very, very, very true. Yeah. Canadians are not necessarily as united in terms of feeling like Ottawa is listening to them, that they feel engaged or, or prioritized or um, respected by their federal government, that they have a good system of government. Those are areas of division. There are areas of 
disenchantment and discontent. Ladies and gentlemen, it's possible for both things to be true. <laughs> and it is so reductive to, to go to these blanket statements that Canadians have been, never been more divided or Canadians have never been more united. Like this is just, it's blah, blah. And it yeah. is so not helpful. And you can be, you know, Ray, I think Rafe Mayer was one of the people who said this, if, if, if not the person who said this, it's like, you can be a three in politics if your opponents are all a two. <laughs> and, and I think we're dealing with a lot of twos and threes these days, as opposed to a lot of nines and tens. Yeah. So we have to figure out how to learn to disagree again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you were talking earlier about sort of the social media aspect of things. I think social media has been part of the polarization of the political discourse in this country. Obviously, what we've seen in the United States and in the United Kingdom and other liberal democracies, certainly there's been a pulling apart. But it's almost as though we've lost the language around how to say, I don't agree with you, but I also am not going to call you a poopy head. <laughs> and you know th this is this is where we're at, uh, and it's I don't I don't think it's a very good thing for for our country where we are. Um, you asked about the conservatives and the opposition. Trudeau will come through this, I think, uh, and you know have me back if I'm wrong, but but I think he will because these things don't get judged in a vacuum. So right. it's not it you know that the 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 equation on this is not just how the prime minister did it's also how did the opposition do and the opposition were were in an even worse place in part because their own base is so deeply fractured yeah. you have those hardliners who are exploiting um just the absolute worst uh some of the worst elements of what we saw with the convoy protest but you also had a lot of conservative voters who were just like hey, there is a level of discontentment or disengagement in this country that no one will acknowledge. They call us a fringe. We're not a fringe. Would mm -hmm. someone please just listen to us? Yeah. And, um, and of course, that got so subsumed by the standing with people who wave swastikas or the, the, the idiots who, who urinated on the war memorial or the idiots who beat up the homeless person outside of the shelter in those mm -hmm. early weeks of the 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 protest or or the honking and all of just the really belligerent behaviors it 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 took away from the ability to have a conversation around do people feel engaged in this country and and that's been lost but just because it's been lost in the political discourse doesn't mean those people have gone home feeling fulfilled or satisfied or more engaged than they did before yeah the problem hasn't gone away and you know we've been seeing this over the years in different ways it's like same disengagement, different protest movements. So it was the same with the yellow vest movement a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. It's the same people who got so angry over the blockades of, of pipelines um, in the last couple of years. Like it's, it's a lot of the same feeling of losing ground in this country. And there is a, a not insignificant cohort of Canadians somewhere between 20 to 30 percent which is yes it's a minority but it's not a fringe who are feeling very unhappy about where we are in this country today and we have to find a way to be able to say that out loud uh in order to 
confront and deal with how that can manifest itself. And in the last month, we saw it manifest itself in Ottawa in a very destructive way. Mm -hmm. Do you think part of the problem is, and I'm, I'm going to hark back to something you said earlier about gratitude. Do you think part of the problem is that whether it is social media or, or even just news media, the images that we see in terms of a lot of that ugly behavior in the truckers convoy, do you think part of the problem is that we're so focused on these things that we disagree on as opposed to trying to appreciate the fact that most Canadians are on board with general fundamentals and, and vaccination rates, when we look at 90% vaccination rates, I mean, that's kind of a testament to the fact that Canadians are generally on board with, with a lot of the same principles, but we kind of just ignore that and, you know, put each, put each other in these labels of liberal and conservative and centrist, whatever. I, I go back to, we have to find more constructive ways to, to, to think critically, to debate, to disagree, to understand that in many cases, there's more than one or two sides to a conversation that sometimes um, things get really sticky really fast and, and acknowledge that. And um, I don't, I don't think we do that. And I don't know whether that's social media. I don't think I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's a part of it. But I think the language we hear from our politicians today, and I'm not just talking about our federal politicians, mm -hmm. like that is up and down across every level of government in every part of the country. Uh, where, where are the people who have figured out how to say, this is what I stand for. This is what most people stand for. But I acknowledge the existence of people who profoundly disagree. Right. And, um, doesn't mean you're giving in to them. It doesn't mean, you know, it's just but like, hey, these folks exist. Saying they don't exist doesn't mean that they don't exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let, let's talk about one other level of government before I let you go. Someone who has fared fairly well in terms of favorability polls is BC Premier John Horgan. He still has continued to poll fairly strongly. Despite all the pandemic fatigue, you know, some would argue that he's kind of done a lot of similar things and, and things not necessarily out of step with Alberta and Ontario at times, but he has still done very well in terms of public favorability. Why has the BCNDP done so well to keep themselves in the good graces of British Columbians? Interesting question. Um, I think in part, John Horgan has had the good sense to have the very trusted Dr. Bonnie Henry out front day after day after day. Yeah. So again, you know, where I, where I talked earlier about, we have trust in our, in our doctors, we have trust in our medical health officials. So why put the politician out there when mm. the, the, the apolitical doctor dealing in science can be out there? Yeah. Uh, and that's not to say that, that British Columbians have been enthralled with or understood or, um, or agreed with every decision she's made over two years. That's certainly not the case, but, uh, John Horgan had the political canny, uh, the, the political shrewdness and acumen to, uh, to say, Hey, I'm not going to be the face of this. Dr. Henry can be the face of this. And to an, and to a lesser extent, Adrian Dix can be the face of this. So I'm not going to be the face of this. <laughs> um, but there's also, um, if you look at provinces where their provincial politicians are still doing fairly well, 
those are provinces that were fairly satisfied with their provincial government going into the pandemic mm, and yeah. also where um where populations were more or less already aligned with the decisions that governments were taking mm. so in bc we we are a population that leans more towards caution around restrictions uh leans leans more towards yeah listen to your public health officials leans more towards yes vaccination mandates so what the bc government was was putting out there uh people were picking up what they were putting down right. you look at Al alberta where jason kenny uh, was getting squeezed from both sides. Uh, you you had a very strong pocket of of hell no folks around restrictions and vaccine mandates and PPE and all of it, masks and all those things. No, no, no. So they were really mad at him every time they had to he had to bring in restrictions. And then you had people, particularly in places like Calgary and Edmonton where uh the the uh, zeitgeist and, and the and the consensus was uh, kenny's not going far enough he keeps reopening things he keeps ignoring the problem so they were very angry and so you see his uh his approval numbers take a nosedive because he was getting uh basically anger from both sides of the political spectrum on that yeah. front um and you saw that a little bit with doug ford as well so uh it it helps when your population more or less aligns with what you want to do anyway. Right. Sort of the built-in trust going into something like this. I don't, yeah, I don't even know if it's trust. I think it's more just uh, British Columbians tilted more towards being cautious. Yeah. And so when the BC government said, we're going to be cautious, they were all like, okay. <laughs> Shachi, I'm going to leave you on one note. How come I never get a call to be a participant in, in some of these public opinion research polls? I see all this data coming out, people being polled. I never get a call. Is it because I- I never get a call. I never get a call. <laughs> Why doesn't anyone call me? I get a lot of those. Well, first of all, you should know that modern polling actually happens online okay. uh you know okay like who who actually would you pick up your cell phone if it if there was some unknown number wanting to pull you about stuff no uh, you would not you would not okay you might take that call no, i was just i was junkie. just gonna say you know it might be the cra uh you know having a yeah yeah exa exactly so i gotta make sure i, I answer <laughs> Um, people always have lots of questions about how we poll. And that is why on our website, we have this thing that people can click on called how we poll. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and, and there is a lot of information that people can learn about, um, why we can, for example, uh, sample, uh, a portion of the canadian population and extrapolate what people think based on uh you don't have to talk to 30 million people to understand what the canadian population thinks you can you can talk to a smaller number of them yeah. uh, so that talks about sampling theory we can talk about questionnaires we can talk about online polling so if you go to angusreed.org and then go to the about section there is a section a drop down called how we poll and um i would invite you lovely polling nerds out there in the in the in the blogosphere to avail yourself of that i love it shachi you're an absolute gem one thing i'd be meaning to do is apologize to you because about a year and a half ago on the radio i accidentally called you shachi curly 
And uh, I think it was during the BC provincial election. It was a slip of the tongue. And I felt very bad that it aired like that. I sounded very silly. But uh, please. I've been I, called worse. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you called called me something way worse. No, no, called no. worse. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I, I really do appreciate this. And it's been an honor to chat with you. Okay, take care. Folks, she is the president of the Angus Reid Institute, Canada's nonprofit foundation committed to independent research, my favorite debate moderator in the entire country. She is Shachi Curl, and I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. Thank you.